Um, we have been thinking about uh, the coming of Jesus in this season and looking at the prophet Isaiah to see what he has to say about getting ready or anticipating that. And we're going to continue that today by looking at a little passage in Isaiah chapter 35. So I'd like to invite you to take out your Bible and open it up to Isaiah 35. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs, or you can open up your phone and and, uh, read it on your device, whatever. Isaiah chapter 35 is kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you open up in the middle, you're probably in the Psalms, and just go right, you'll get a little bit uh, chapters to Isaiah. Isaiah 35. Before I read this, I want to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on the way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is God's Word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I'd like you to take just a moment to turn to your neighbor and tell them your favorite Christmas aroma. What do you like to smell at Christmas time? Okay? Talk to your neighbor. Young and old, everyone get involved, sharing your favorite Christmas smell. Okay, you must have lots of smells you like. I'm going to tell you my favorite Christmas smell at the end of the sermon, so you have that to look forward to. First, I want to tell you what happened this past Tuesday while I was rejoicing over my taco. The normal Taco Tuesday bunch was sitting in the booth next to me, and they were talking with loud, animated voices, and the summary of their discussion would be this, the hawks are going to whip the eagles. Now, as I'm listening to this, I know there's a story here, and we've got to fill in some gaps, and I'm wondering, what are they talking about? Are these like bird watchers? Are they like spies? Are they talking in code about something that's going to happen? And the answer is, no, they're not. You already filled in the gaps to the story, right? You know what they are. They're 
Iowa fans, and we all know that Iowa fans are prone to loud, obnoxious conversations (laughs) in public places about what's coming. And so they were discussing the upcoming bowl game, and they're convinced that the Hawks are going to win handily. Okay, so you know that. To be human is to be a storyteller. Part of what makes us people is we tell stories, and we like to hear stories. We like a good story. George worked for the post office, and his job was to handle any letter where the address was not readable. And so right before Christmas, he got a letter, and it was addressed simply to God. And since he didn't know what to do with this, there was no other clues on the envelope, he opened up and he read it. And this is what the letter said. Dear God, I am a 93-year-old widow living on a fixed income. Yesterday, somebody stole my purse. It had $200 in it, which is all my money. I do not get another pension check until after Christmas, and next week I invited two friends to come over for Christmas lunch. Without the money, I have nothing to buy food with. I have no family to turn to. You are my only hope. God, can you please help me? So George, being kind-hearted, shared this letter with his other postal workers, and they took an impromptu collection, and they quickly collected $190. And so George took this money, and he put it in an envelope, a post office envelope, and he mailed it back to this lady with no explanation. And then the rest of the day, everyone in the post office was all geeked out because they were so generous and kind and helped this lady out. Well, Christmas came and went, and then a few days later, another letter addressed to God landed in the sorting office, and so George gathered everyone around to read the letter, and this is what it said. Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you did for me? Because of your generosity, I was able to provide a lovely luncheon for my friends. We had a very nice day, and I told my friends about your wonderful gift, and we were all filled with joy. By the way, God, there was $10 missing. I'm sure it was those thieving workers at the post office. Good story? Okay, as we've been dwelling in the Word over the last several months, we've been looking at the story of God that goes from Genesis to Revelation. And we've recognized this is a huge story, and what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to fill in the gaps so that we could get a better understanding of exactly what it is that God is trying to accomplish in this world. And as we've been dwelling in the Word, we know that it's been dwelling in us, and it's been shaping us to understand and actually to get excited and uh, anticipating God's continued work in our lives and in the world around us. And we've shifted our focus just a little bit on the dwelling throughout the season of Advent to look at this important kind of connection between Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' coming, and then this big 500-year gap between the Old and the New, and then the New Testament announcement of His arrival. And we've been trying to understand about how is it that this story is impacting our lives. And the more we've dwelt in this story, I don't know about you, but the more I sense that it's shaping me with a great sense of anticipation that God has offered a great gift in Christ and we're celebrating it in this particular season. The one thing that has jumped out at me repeatedly is the basic reaction when we understand exactly what God is about, one of the most basic reactions is gratitude and joy. We get excited because we recognize God is still at work. He's still doing the things that he promised. This is how Isaiah describes the reaction to this story. Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, 
who say to Zion, your God reigns. When we hear good news, we rejoice. We actually get excited at the, the sight of somebody who's going to come with good news, someone who's going to bring deliveries. I get excited when they bring my Amazon boxes to my house. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news causes joy and rejoicing. Good news brings joy. This is how Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. Romans 10. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It is great when somebody comes and announces goodness and light. Listen to this great story from the book of Acts, chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Peter, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out, and as he was on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official who was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard that the man was reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man answered, how can I? unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. And this was the passage of Scripture that the man was reading. He was leading, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him, the good news about Jesus. I don't know what this man's challenge was, but he was looking for some good news. He's browsing through the prophet Isaiah to see what Isaiah has to say, and he's no doubt facing some kind of darkness. He's looking for light. I don't know what it is. Personal tragedy, maybe, um, some kind of pain or suffering, injustice, discouragement, loneliness, we're not really told what his darkness is, but he's longing for some answers, some good news. Philip comes and opens the scriptures, beginning with the passage in Isaiah, and tells him the good news about Jesus. And this was exactly the news he needed to hear in that moment. And he responds, his heart is flooded with joy. Light shines into his darkness. He's so excited, he says to Philip, is there any reason why I couldn't follow this Jesus right now? Can I believe right now? And Philip says, yeah, you can. And he's baptized in that moment. And the story continues that this one man in this chariot who came to Christ actually brings the gospel to an entirely new continent. Is that a good story? How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. There's power in a little light shining in the darkness. There's power in a little joy coming to someone who's discouraged. Isaiah 35 described it this way. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. This is the impact of good news. It actually has some very practical impacts because we're told this a few verses later. This kind of good news, this kind of joy, strengthens feeble hands. Feeble hands. 
Good news steadies knees that are weak, about to give way. It helps those who are fearful to be strong and courageous. Blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, the crippled and the lame walk. Those who have never spoken a word sing. Water gushes into the, wa- into the desert. This is good news. They enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their hearts. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. My favorite expression in this entire passage is that last phrase. That when joy comes, it ends sighing. Have you ever been really discouraged and the only thing you could do is just go... There's a day coming when there's no more sighing. I was running at the Y last Saturday, and on Saturday morning there's basketball games going on there, lots of little kids. And I was watching as I was taking my laps, this little girls team, probably second graders, eight, nine-year-old girls out there playing basketball. And this girl took a hard foul from some other little girl and did what everybody wants to do when they get fouled hard. She started crying. But it started with a big sob. It started with this big... And then the tears just started to flow. And I didn't see exactly what happened, but they had to take the ball out of bounds, and this girl was the girl who had to throw it in. And as I came around for my next lap, I could see her holding this basketball and tears flowing down her cheeks, and her, her shoulders were heaving because she was so sad about this foul, and she couldn't throw the ball in. So the ref walked over and put his arm around her. I gave him huge credit. He stopped everything else, ignored everybody else, and went around and started to talk to this game, to this little girl. And talked for quite a while. I took that a couple laps in, and every time I looked, this guy is still talking to this girl. Finally, after this long conversation, the girl smiles. And he hands her the ball back and blows the whistle, and the game goes on. It's, it's hard to watch somebody who's sighing, isn't it? When somebody's sad, when their life is broken, when they're hurt and facing whatever tragedy it is, when I see someone cry, it makes me want to cry. This passage promises that there's a day coming when there's going to be no more sighing. What a great day that will be. Is anybody here familiar with the statistic win probability in sports? Win probability? I guess this is kind of a a new thing, or at least it's new to me. I just started paying attention to it on my little ESPN game summary thing. There's a little graph that shows you in real time at any point in a game, any game, what's the probability that one or the other team is going to win, okay? And I thought I would just teach you this little win probability thing with two of the most important games of the year. So the first game is Ohio versus Iowa. Does anybody remember that game? Okay, we got one Hawk fan. We had a whole bunch of Hawk fans in the first service, but okay. Um, If you remember this game, Ohio was a huge favorite, if you remember going into the game. So the win probability starts out before the game even starts. They're favored to win, so they're up here. This is how it works. This line is 50-50, either team. If it's up here, it's 100% chance Ohio, down here 100% Hawkeyes, okay? The game starts out, and the first half kind of goes up and down. It stays kind of up here. The chances are pretty good that Ohio is going to win throughout the first game. And then something happened apparently right before halftime, and this line dipped down here. I guess the Hawks took the lead right then or something. And then the half ended, and then they came back and they had a 
amazing second half, I got to admit it, even though I hate to admit it. And the win probability went like this for the rest of the game until they got to the end. And then what was, does anybody remember the final score? Does anybody care? Yeah, yeah, it was a huge win. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) Okay. So the win probability went way down for the last quarter. It's like 90-some percent until the game's over. And then it's 100%. They won, right? It was a great game. Okay? So that's win probability. I'll get to the most important game of the year right here next. Oklahoma and Iowa State. This is the game, of course, most of us care a lot more about. Oklahoma was um, way ahead. Or they were favored at the beginning, and they were ahead throughout the... Most of the first half, it kind of goes up and down like that. And then at some point in the third quarter, um, Iowa State got a, he- got a lead. Remember that? So then the win probability went down like this. But then Oklahoma scored again. So then the win probability went back up like that. And then at the end, just, was there a better game this year? Anybody? <laughs> at the end, of course, Iowa State scored again and they won. Okay, so that's what the win probability looks like for that. Okay. So it's fascinating to me that they can do this with all their data analytics. At any point, they can figure out what are the chances that your team is going to win. It made me wonder when I was reading this passage, what is the win probability for somebody who is wandering around in the desert without water? What's their win probability? If you put the desert up here and the wanderer down here, it's a pretty good chance if you have no water and you're in the desert, the, the desert's going to win, right? What changes the wind probability? Water. And when water comes, now I got a chance. What's the wind probability for someone who's like a pilgrim and they're worn out and they're exhausted, they're weary, and they're marching on a winding road that's going up and down the hills? What's the wind probability for that? Who's going to win, the road or the weary pilgrim? doesn't seem very good for the pilgrim. What happens if we take the road and we just... Smooth it out, make it straight. Now the pilgrim who was weary has a chance to win. What is the win probability for the deaf, the blind, the outcast, the prisoner, the orphan, the widow, the oppressed, the broken, the lost? What is the win probability? Probably not good. Luke 4 actually talks about this. One day Jesus is going to the temple. Well, here's what it says in Luke 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was on him. And he said to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, your win probability just went to 100%. Now, when I look at these statistical charts and I'm going through ESPN backlog history of these games, it's a line on a piece of paper, right? And it maybe looks a little bit lifeless and you think, yeah, what's the big deal about that? But um, 
Can anybody tell me what happened to every cyclone fan in the universe when this probability dipped down here? Any guesses? What happened to the cyclone fans that were down there in Oklahoma at the stadium? And then it went back up here because they scored. And then what happened when we got that last score? Man, people go nuts! Of course, Cyclone fans don't go quite as nuts as Hawkeye fans, but they go nuts because they are going to win now, and they see that the win is likely to happen. Some Bible students think that Isaiah 35 should never have been written. And here's the reason, because they're reading Isaiah 34 right before it, and Isaiah 34 is this bleak, dark, depressing story. If you read through Isaiah 34, the story is this. God's people are in trouble and there is no hope for them. They're doomed. Their win probability in Isaiah 34 is zero. They're going to be wiped out. And then right after that comes Psalm 35. And God says, water is going to flow in the desert. Touchdown! The blind are going to see. The lame are going to walk. The lame are going to dance. Those who have never spoken, they're going to sing and everyone's going to shout for joy. This joy is not a line on a chart. This is a reality that we experience when we recognize God sent His Son for us to be our Savior. One of the great opportunities that we have, I think in the Christmas season particularly, is for us to shine joy in the world around us, to shine light in the world around us. I read an interesting thing last week where someone was speculating that what Christians need to do is they need to be an aroma of good things that points people to God. You know what my favorite aroma of Christmas is? Joy. That's my favorite aroma. If we would be people who would not be crabby and mad at the world but people who celebrate and rejoice at the good things that God has given us and promises to give us, then people will be drawn to that. People who are walking in darkness, in deep darkness, they need light, they need joy. People who are wrestling with pain, struggling with trouble, their win probability line is going up and down, but it does not look like they're going to win. They need joy. And we have an opportunity to shine joy. So I don't know how you want to do that this week, but there's lots of ways. One simple way is to invite people to come worship on Christmas Eve. You know what? Statistics prove this. If you invite someone to come on Christmas Eve, they'll come. People show up at Christmas Eve services all over the world in record numbers every year. Many of them dragged there, but they're there. And if they come here, you know what they're going to experience? Joy. Because we bring you good news of great joy for all people. In the city of David has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And because of that, we rejoice. Lord God, we come before you today and we give you thanks because you are a good God and you love us with an incredible love, even beyond our ability to comprehend. And we thank you, God, for the many good gifts that you give to us. I want to pray a specific prayer, God, right now for anyone in this room who feels discouraged They feel like their life is in trouble. They feel maybe hopeless. They feel like their win probability is super low. 
God, I pray that your spirit would come and touch them right now, that you would rock your strong, wrap your strong arms of love around them and give them encouragement and hope, point them to the good news that you offer, good news of great joy. God, I don't know what that discouragement might be like. It might be a medical issue, a health challenge. It might be a challenge with finances, employment, with the job. It might be a relational challenge, God. They might be wrestling with, uh, in this holiday season, getting along with their family members, with their spouse, with their children. God, it might be individuals who are here who are lonely. They feel left out. It might be those who are mourning or grieving the loss of loved ones who won't be here with them this holiday season. God, it might be someone who is facing much darker challenges with addictions, with injustice, with challenges that just feel dark and feel all-consuming, and they need a little light. God, shine some light right now. We thank you, God, for the good news that we read in your word and the promises that we receive, and we are really looking forward with anticipation of celebrating once again the great gift of your Son, our Savior, born in a manger, and we're excited for that day to come again. Watch over and bless and keep us. Uh, Guide us and direct us as individuals and as a community to follow you and to shine your light, and we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.